most of what I've noticed, the key difference now that I'm queer or whatever, mm-hmm. is when I make an OC, I'll be like, what if this one kissed boys? And it's yeah, mostly yeah, yeah. just been that and the ability to say the F word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those are, no, you're right. Those are the two. I can't think of any other differences of, of being queer to before. That no, that's you got you got it. That's it. Yeah, full experience. I've done it. And baby, that is a cold open to the podcast. Wow, we did it. Another one in the bag. Locked and Just, loaded. Can you believe we do one of these every week? Um, incredible. Every week, all pump, no breaks, baby. We've never stopped for any reason ever at all. No descriptions of episodes say end to a hiatus. Not a thing that's ever happened. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so we've been doing this consecutively without any interruptions um, for a while now. And um, uh, uh, this, now we're going to continue to do that. What is it? What a great question. So this is Original Podcast Do Not Steal, a weekly podcast in which every week Devin and I, and sometimes an additional person who isn't Devin or I, but not this time. This time it's just Devin or I, um, come up with and uh, take some sort of a media property, and we come up with an original character in that property um, for fun uh, and also... Uh, to give us a chance to talk about things that we like and are excited about talking about. Um, that, I think, covers it. So, today, uh, you might be wondering what we're talking about, and we would love to answer that question, but we can't yet, because before we can answer your question, um, we have to, uh, uh, we have to our do our, little, our, 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 our gay little question of the, of, the, of the week to ask each other in order to strengthen our parasocial bond. Um, is this the one where I'm asking one, or is this the one where you're asking one? I believe it's my turn, and it actually okay. ties into that cold open. So, Amber, Incredible. would you say there's been any noticeable difference in how you approach media now that you're queer? Ooh, um, I like that question. I mean, it's sort of hard. I've been queer for a really, really long time. Um, I've been, uh, uh, I've been, I've been transing my gender for um, almost five years now. Um, it'll be, it'll be five years. Um, uh, probably by the time this episode airs, it'll, it'll, the the, the five year mark will have already passed. Um, uh, so a lot of that sort of just comes down to. Um, uh, like I'm a grown-up person, right? And there's a difference between how you experience media as a 21-year-old versus how you experience media as a 26-year-old. Um, and so I like have like my media literacy has expanded greatly. But it, okay, so let me. I don't need to dodge the question. Let me. Let me. In terms of whether my like queerness specifically, like yeah, absolutely. I feel like I. I of course look for different things in my in my stories and i and i look for um uh right like i care about whether or not there are queer people in my stories now um although i do have like a specific bone to pick with i feel like there's like this whole genre especially in like literature especially in books like i read a fair number of books not like a ton of books but like you know like a like a like 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 a like a book a month maybe every month or so and and there's like a whole genre of like books where like the 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 author's entire fucking conceit for why they're writing is just to like do representation and those are almost always like worse stories than um uh than than 
uh, like if you have like a like a story idea but like some like okay i read priory of the orange tree earlier this year back in like march when i was like uh uh, uh recovering from from heart surgery um and prior of the orange priory of the orange tree is incredible it has queer women in it um and there's like women everywhere in that story and that is like part of it that's part of the experience of reading it um it's not like the reason the book exists it's just like it's an important facet of like what the world feels like to inhabit. And it like really, to me enhances the experience of reading it. Um, uh, God, I'm getting so far off track. I'm sorry. Um, I uh, was not on hiatus at all from this podcast and I am not at all flexing my uh, 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 being back. Um, uh, I, 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 th I think that, honestly, the biggest way that my experience of media is different now that I'm queer is just that the way that I understand relationships is different, right? Like, I have standards now. I have, like, an understanding <laughs> of, um... <laughs> no, like, like... No, I love, I love, um... Uh, I have, I have... You know, at least one relationship that I had before I was queer that I really value that person very highly, and I think that relationship was great. But like, I like the way that you understand relationships is different, right? And the way that you understand the way that people relate to each other is different. And 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 like, there's that meme of like polyamory people like watching a movie with a love triangle and being like, why don't they all just resolve their conflict by being in a poly in a polycule? Um, and like the part, half of the joke there is that that often would not actually work to solve those problems. But I think that meme is speaking to like a truth that uh, people experience, which is that you like when you become queer or when you start doing relationships in a, like a, like a n less normative way, um, it expands your understanding of what like your options are as a human person when you're resolving conflict. And it like demolishes a lot of the scripts that you rely on. And so, um, yeah, I would say that the, the the demolishment of those scripts and the 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 expansion of my like understanding of what characters could choose to do in a circumstance changes, and that often is like really illuminating. This week, I saw Brian and Charles, which is like a lovely movie with which I have some weird feelings about how the third act turned out. But like the the core relationship in that movie, like I was watching it and I was like, this could be different. And I'm like learning something about the characters from the fact that they are choosing to adhere to the scripts that they've been handed out. Um, so that's my, that's my long winded answer. Um, yeah. How yeah, about okay. you? Oh, this is really one where I didn't have anything that was satisfying. It's your all. fucking turn. It's your fucking turn to not have an answer to the question. I love that. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I think most of it is just generic. The meaning of my personhood has changed over the years. So, of course, how I approach things is yeah, different. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think I have a reverse thing where I'm like, now that I'm bi, I don't, it hasn't really approached what I want out of a story. Make me cry, bitch. But I do think media has played... Oh, fuck it. I'll just throw all my cards out on the table. Peacemaker did a lot for me realizing who I am oh, did more really? than I want to admit. That's great. <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> yeah, fucking Peacemaker. Peacemaker was good. Yeah, Peacemaker's good. Peacemaker and Bob and Rose did uh, more for me coming to terms with the wholeness of my personhood <laughs> than most things. That's great. I love that. Go but speaking team. of queerness and stories, the we topic were. for today. Yeah. Not overtly, but in a way where I went, I'm not trans, nor do I play one on TV. But if I was, I'd look at this book and go, hey, 
That feels like something. What is it, Devin? A Wizard of Earthsea, a series of young adult fiction novels written by one Ursula K. Le Guin. So cards on the table. Um, when you announced that you were doing it, I was like, I was like, oh, maybe I'll read Wizard of Earthsea. And then I um, went on vacation and I got COVID. This is the first episode I'm recovering since I got COVID and I uh, had to be squatting in an Airbnb and not talking to anyone. And in retrospect, I probably could have, like, I did, like, read an entire book during that period, and it wasn't Wizard of Earthsea. It was a book that I happened to have with me. And I probably could have gotten Wizard of Earthsea on ebook, and I just forgot to do it. So I haven't read it. So... Wouldn't uh, be the first time that's happened on the show. Sorry, everybody. It simply is... What it is. So I guess that does cover the Amber, would you like to talk before I talk for forever, but you don't know anything about Earthsea, correct? So I know a little bit about Earthsea. I, okay, so my relationship with Earthsea is that my dad read the books. Um, oh, and, okay. Yeah, and I have like a lot of, I have a, a, a really, um, uh, 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 how do I say this? Um, my dad really, really influenced me in the way that I understand media. I think that I've, I've, I've surpassed him. I'm better at, um, I'm, I'm better at media analysis than my dad by like a really wide margin at this point. And I think he would agree with that. Uh, the future is now old man. I mean, in his defense, like after, um, after, after the last Jedi, he was like, oh, um, well, Ray, there's no way that Ray actually is from nobody. She's got to have a famous space family. Um, and Kylo's definitely getting redeemed. Um, both of which I thought were fucking stupid and terrible things that shouldn't happen. And it would make no sense. And it's really dumb to imagine that those things will happen. Um, and then, egg on your face because uh, your dad's was, right. Like it was stupid, and they shouldn't have done it. And um, I think that you know the people who made those choices were wrong. Um, but my but it it does mean that my dad was right in that moment. Anyway, I'm so fucking rambly today. I'm so sorry. Um, my dad, uh, uh, my dad read it, so I have like some amount of like basically complaining about the movie from my dad. That, oh, that, that movie's terrible. That's we're what not, I've heard from my dad. Um, we're not going to dedicate any time to talking about Earthsea's adaptations because I've talked about Earthsea in a few spaces online. And it's uh, about the ways in which Earthsea is uniquely unqualified for big screen adaptations. Neither of the movies are good. That's all you need to know, audience. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a second one. Yeah, it's a Studio Ghibli movie and it's fine. Okay. Do you want to take it? Do you want to? Do you want to do your your long spiel and I uh, listen? Yeah, I'm ready to go. I just I feel this burp like in my chest and it's not coming out. And this is making for great. I'm cutting this out. This is making for great audio, but it's so fucking annoying. You gonna be okay? You gonna make it? You gonna... I'm gonna make it. Okay. So you gonna make it of... for our loyal fans? I will do it for the fan. I will do it for our tens of listeners. If I'm editing, I'm not cutting it out. You know oh, that. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. I hope I edit this one. So. <sighs> oh, finally. Oh, fuck yeah. That's set up and payoff. We can't cut that. Are you kidding me? Son that's set up. <laughs> damn, that's an arc. We learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. Okay, so Wizard of Earthsea, full disclosure, I've only read the first two books because I got to the third one 
and I was like, I'm in the mood for something else. And I started watching the Critical Role show, and I got into Dimension 20, and I was like, let's see if Dragons of Autumn Twilight hold up, and I forgot to finish the third Earthsea book. There's like five of them. I've read the first two, and I'm probably going to talk about both of them for a while, and usually on episodes like this, I tend to focus on character, and I forget to talk about the world, so Amber struggles to know how to make a character than space. It's true. But the functionality of the world is directly tied into character, so I think just kind of discussing that will help you that way, and so let's see if I can make this all work. So... A Wizard of Earthsea, the first book, tells the story of one Sparrowhawk, a.k.a. Ged. We'll get into the significance of the name Ged later. But the thing I really like about the first, about both of these books, actually, is whenever you're making the special wizard boy, let's say, I don't know, pull one out of a hat, Harry Potter, right? Harry's right. kind of fucking boring. I feel like everyone agrees. Yeah. I, you did the Harry Potter episode without me, and I'm going to have to fit my Harry Potter hot takes in at some point. But yeah, we, yeah. we'll yeah, we do another episode with you, and it'll be great. But Ged is not boring, and it's very important that when you first meet Ged, he's kind of a shit kid. We'll get into the specifics into a bit. But when you first meet Ged, he's small fish in a big pond. I think I said that in reverse, but it's fine. He has slight magic powers. His aunt teaches him some basic spells. One day, a bunch of raiders come in. He uses his magic and clever trickery to get them to fall off of a cliff, right? Gets noticed by this wandering wizard, Obi-Wan. I mean, Ogion. It's different. But you recognize the archetype, right? Yes. One one day, whilst Ged is training with Ogion, this girl comes in. And she's pegging him, right? No, wait. Uh, Yeah, she's pegging him. She's pegging him, Devin? I meant to say nagging. She's pegging him? Good for her. Good for all of them. Oh, it's the opening of Deadpool 1, everyone's favorite superhero movie. She's nagging him, right? She's like, well, you're training to be a wizard, but you don't know how to do this thing? And our boy Ged, Sparrowhawk, he doesn't really know how to process it. He can't take it. He's real upset because he's been told he's going to be great and now that's being challenged by this girl and damn it, he can show her. He can do magic spells. Goes to this book, accidentally unleashes a shadow until Ogion comes back, puts the shadow at bay and Ogion's like, hey, like, for all you know, she's the daughter of a witch and this was a trick to summon a demon to kill me. Like, you can't, you gotta think smart, man. And God's like, oh, well, it's, uh, man, I'll, don't you worry, Ogion. I totally will. Nothing bad's gonna happen, right? And Ogion's like, look, okay. Here's what it is. You can stay here with me, and it will be a long, slow road, and you can be a serviceable wizard. Or you can go to the wizarding school, and you'll be great. You'll have power, and people will sing your praises. Ged describes the feeling of wanting to say yes, wanting to stay with Ogion, but knowing in his heart of hearts that that's not what he wants. He wants power. He wants to be revered. He wants to be the special boy because he's been told he's got to be the special boy. My face is on the cover of this young adult fiction novel. It's about me. And so he goes to the wizarding school. And to get in the wizarding school, you have to give your name. And now I get to talk about... Actually, no, I'm going to talk about that later. Cutting that out. (laughs) And so the two people he meets, both of which I have forgotten their names... And fans of Wizard of Earthsea are very upset about me because names are a fundamental aspect of how this universe functions. Sorry, it's been a minute. But he meets one guy I who's his you. best... He meets one kid, best friend, 
he'll come up later. One kid, his... What the fuck is that racist kid from Harry Potter's name? Which one? Exactly. Draco Malfoy. He meets Draco, his Draco Malfoy. Who's this rich, up-and-crust kid. And Ged cannot stand this kid. And it's all in his eyes. It's all in the way he looks at Ged. It's all in the disrespect. The way he doesn't talk to him as an equal. The way he looks below Ged. Ged is fucking seething. He's so angry. And so, whilst they're at the wizarding school, they learn how magic works. And how magic works in a Wizard of Earthsea is... Magic is not a thing you are channeling, you're not a conduit, you're not summoning a divine or an eldritch force. It is the ability to learn a thing, because all of magic is derived from learning a thing's true name. Because once you know a thing's true name, to know a thing is to have mastery over that thing. So you're just learning the true name of water, and then you can make water do what you want. And so on Earthsea, Ged's name is Sparrowhawk, that's what he tells people, but his true name is Ged. And giving your true name to someone, giving your full personhood over, is one of the most intimate things you can do. It's also one of the most dangerous things you do. Because again, to know a person wholly is to have mastery over them in some way. I know you pretty well, Amber. I know how to get a reaction out of you. It's true. Um, And you can't, like, take that... You can't take it, like, knowing a person's true name back, right? Like... Yeah. And so that's a fundamental key component of this universe... And so one day, when Ged's a super big dick wizard, and that fucking Malfoy still refuses to look at him, acknowledge him as an equal, on a lark, on a dick-measuring contest, just to prove to one kid who does not fucking matter in the grand scheme of things how good Ged is at this wizarding shit, he summons the spirit of a long-dead princess. And in his arrogance and spite, you know, the fact that he's an ugly kid at this point, a real shit heel, he summons a demon. He summons a shadow that claws at Ged and tries to rip its way into his flesh. And this is where Ged gets the three white scars across his cheek. They're the most defining characteristic he has. We'll get to it when we discuss Tomb of Atuan. And this almost kills Ged, drains him of a lot of his magic. The Grand Wizard dies to save Ged from the shadow. And Ged is extraordinarily humbled. Over the three days of recovery, he has this little pet. I think it's called an Otek. Picture a flying squirrel. It stayed with him the whole time. And Ged says that when this small animal saved him was the moment he decided that any man who would not look at all sentient beings as equal as a fool in his eyes. And so our new humbled Ged, now once respected and revered by all his classmates, no one really wants to look him in the eye. He's weak. He's unshapely. Eventually, he graduates from wizard school. And this is where I'm going to try to truncate things a little bit more because it's a lot of things and I'll only bring up the important ones. So, the, one of the important ones is how I wanted to open this, is saying that Wizard of Earthsea is a lot of esoteric metaphysical prose about the nature of self-acceptance and self-actualization. And so there's this one bit where this kid has died, and they ask Gad if the, he can, like, heal him. And when Ged tries to heal him, they talk about going to the astral plane. And this is when the shadow finally notices where Ged is again. And Ged is stricken with terror and just runs away so he can't save the kid. After that, he's like, I have to leave. Because if I'm here and the shadow tries to get me, this Gebeth makes me its slave. It'll be too powerful because I'm still a very powerful sorcerer. That just is what it is. But he can't leave because there's a dragon. And this is... (laughs) 
<laughs> and this is why Wizard of Earthsea is uniquely unfilmable, because if I explain to you what happens to the dragon fight, the literal what is of it, is it's Ged's on a boat, and a dragon's on a tower, and Ged says the dragon's name at it, and then the dragon doesn't do anything, which is a boring visual, but is very gripping. Yeah. It's very gripping on the page, and I want to talk about performance really quick, which is a weird thing to say about books, but I did the audiobooks, and the first book is narrated by one of my favorite speculative fiction authors, Harlan Ellis, and I don't know if you've ever heard a Harlan Ellis speak, Amber? Okay, well, shout out to you and the listeners, because no one talks like Harlan Ellis talks, no one acts like he does. He is an actor and performer who believes more is more, both in how he writes sentences and how he does delivery. He is going to be exasperated by the end of his sentence and need a moment to recover in the audiobook you're listening to. I think it makes for something engaging. A lot of people complained about it. But this is where I want to talk about Ursa Kayla Gwynn's like, her mastery of this character, and it's a weird thing to say, because, like, duh, it's her character, it's her books. But if someone writes Ged talking and isn't Ursula K. Le Guin because she has such a command of his voice down to center, uh, down to structure of sentences, it reads as fake. Because if you get Harlan Ellis and the woman who narrated the second book to vastly different performances to still sound like the same guy... You've done a service to your character, ma'am. Hats off to you. And so, when he's fighting with the dragon, I'll forever remember the I know your name, Yavod. The thing about dragons is, dragons, their speech is the old tongue. It's magic. Dragons can't lie to you, because magic is fundamentally about speaking truth. It's saying the true nature of a thing. And so, Yavod is like... Uh, Ged's like, you know, I know your name, Yavod. Swear that you and your children will never come to the archipelago. And Yavod's like, I can offer you what you want. I'm not going to do this. I'm not fucking Harlan Ellis. But he's like, I can give you what you want, wizard. I know what hunts you at night. I can keep you safe. I know its name. And there's a moment where Ged... He goes, what do you mean you know its name? But he stops halfway through the f before the thought can even finish because that's not why he's here. He knows the dragon isn't lying because dragons can't lie. A la Aes Sedai from Wheel of Time. Shout out to another fa fantasy series. But that's not why he's here. There's an important reason he's here. It's not selfish. It's to help these people so that he can get away and fight the shadow eventually. There is... So he... Through the power of the dragon's true name, he locks it to the place. He can never go back to the archipelago. Ged leaves. There's this other bit I want to talk about real quick. Where Ged ends up in, like, a castle. And there's this, like, temptress who's, like, with this old wizard. This, not wizard. This old king who's kind of dying. And she's like, there's this... Uh, crystal that will grant you great power and mastery over all things. You, your name will be praised for eternity. You could be a wondrous wizard. And Ged, he goes, you're right, and I can feel it. And that's what scares me about it, that I would be powerful if I had this, and it just fucking hit me, like, damn, this isn't the same kid we met. This isn't the same spiteful, vain, insecure child. This is a a man 
a, a wise person who knows the faulty of power. I, I really liked it, and it, it means so much more if he started shitty. And he gets out of that situation. Spoilers, that Temptress was the same witch girl from the opening of the book, and that was a fun callback. He runs into Ogion, mm. and he's like, Ogion, I don't know what to do. This thing is haunting me, and I can't sleep. If it ever gets me, it's going to be too powerful. And Ogion's like, okay, have you tried hunting it? And Ged's like, what? That's crazy. Crazy enough to fucking work! He throws on his sunglasses, calls his best friend who gave him his true name from the Academy. Don't remember his name. Sorry, everyone. His, the best friend's cousin show up and they talk about, like, the nature of magic with her for a while. But the ending of the book, they chase the shadow across the Great Sea, track it down to a cave. And if you've been paying attention to Wizard of Earthsea, you should probably be able to know how the fight's gonna end up. But Ged chases it to the cave. He tells his friend to stay back. He grabs the shadow and he says, I know your true name, Ged. And it's described as a calming feeling and this wondrous light passes through and Ged feels truly at peace because he's accepted himself. He's accepted his shadow. He's his whole person. Hooray! Yeah, that, yeah, that tracks. That's a, that's a, that's a kid's book. Um, yeah, it's 200 pages. It's easy to read. It's fun. It's a good time. And that's then, a good book report. Thank you. I learned yeah. some things. And so that is A Wizard of Earthsea. And then the second book in the series, The Tombs of Atuan. And much as Ursula K. Le Guin has used the straightforward path through this wondrous archipelago to represent Ged's straightforward journey of self-acceptance, so too does she use a dark cave shrouded in darkness with dead ends, twists and turns, a place where men go to be buried and die to reflect the much darker growth of one Tanar, a.k.a. Arha the eaten one so i'm gonna take a sip of my water real quick take a sip of your water so tanar much like ged starts off as a shitty kid but ged was just kind of a kid who sucked as opposed to tanarha who was the priestess of dark gods she's abducted by this cult at and real quick if you're fans of these books you're probably going to want me to do the thing where I talk about how the tombs of Atuan are a reflection of a sexist culture that makes women toil in the minds of darkness, never be able to progressing in society. So there, I just did that for you. <laughs> I'm not going to spend much more time than that talking about it. So yeah, she's kidnapped by this dark cult and they strip her of her name. They call her Arha, Eaten One. And because this is Earthsea, because you've read that first book, you know how much more that hurts and what an what a true abuse that is for how this world works, but it's also a metaphor for the ways in which cults strip you of personhood. You're not Tanar, you're this thing we need you to be. And so being the priestess of dark gods does not give one the tools one needs to be a good person. There's a bit where two men are in the tombs, and that's sacrilege. So Arha's teacher is like, well, what do, you, what do you want to do? How do you want to kill them? We could just execute them now. And she's and Tanar's like, no. Let the lights go out. And then let them starve alone in the darkness. And then their souls can be eaten by our gods. And her teacher's like, good job, you did it. A plus. And there's this bit that really struck me, where Tanar's talking to I don't remember her name, but she's just another girl who kind of exists. And 
the other girl's like, yeah, there's the god king emperor or whatever and the, the gods we worship, but I don't think any of that's, like, real. I think the god king is just kind of a guy in a position of power. And Arha is dumbstrucken at the idea that someone wouldn't believe. She calls it unfaith, and just that that word unfaith really unfaith. struck me in a way. Yeah, because she doesn't have another word for someone not believing. Why wouldn't you believe? That's been my whole life. And because Arha has doesn't even have her name, has no semblance of control over her life on some level, she knows that, so she she's written as enjoying the few moments in which she can exert power over someone, and usually that's scaring someone. So she's like, I could make you a priestess of the tombs. You could live in the darkness with me forever. And the girl gets freaked out, and Ara's like, yeah, I did something. And she's got this servant sidekick guy. Let me see if I can remember his name. Manith. Found it. Holy shit. Uh, Manith. Quick. Who's... It was very nice and loving to her because Manith sees her as the reincarnation of the priestess of their dark gods, someone he served for forever, and she's mean to him because she wants to exert power. She wants to have some semblance of control, right? And so the book is mostly her um, exploring the tombs and learning her way around this dark corridors with various branching off paths that you can only have mastery of if you like count the count the turns. That's how you learn to manage your way around it, right? Until she finds a man in the tombs. And I was like, is that our boy? Is that Sparrowhawk? And it's a while. And then eventually he turns and she describes the three white scars. And I'm like, ah, that's my boy. That's continuity. Yeah. We did it, He-Man. And so through various circumstances, she wants to keep Get alive because it's something she can control. And it's something new. And they talk. And when they talk, it is the... What's the words I'm looking for? Because Ged can show her how little she knows of the world and on a fundamental level shakes her small understanding of it. So it is both enchanting and horrifying for this literal magic man to be like, well, your gods exist. I've fought shadows, but they're not gods. Also, magic is real, and there's a whole world outside of these tombs. And so she wants to keep him alive, despite the fact that no man is allowed to live inside the tombs. And also, there's this new teacher person whose name I don't remember who's going to kill Arha, because Arha, in front of everyone, is like, I hope your souls get eaten by God! And that's a no-no. So she goes to the tombs where she's kept to get alive and he's very weak because he's A, keeping the shadows off at bay and B, has been living in tombs for like a week and getting very little food or water. And Ged goes, listen, you can leave me here to die and be Tanar and be the priestess here and that is fine. Or you can come with me. You can help me. And I won't promise that it will be easy. In fact, it will be hard. But you can be a person. You can be Tanar again. And he gives her his true name. And you might go, well, how does he know that? And my answer is, he's a wizard. That's his job. His job is to learn how to know a thing. And he can know who this girl is and give her her name back. 
And so this was my favorite part. That seems for... very powerful in this world. That seems like a very... Um... Right? Like, that seems like if, if all your wizards have that power to know someone's true name, and a true name is something that, like, can control people, right? Like, that's... Yeah, it's... Wizards are powerful, but it's not... It takes time. It takes effort. It takes forming a meaningful relationship. It's why when Ged has enemies, they don't just know his name because they don't know him in the same way Ged has come to know this person. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, like I can, like I can let it go for the for the for the dramatic clarity that it provides. Yeah. So, and this was my favorite bit of moment, like that same moment where it's like, oh, look, Ged's a different person here. Uh, when they're escaping the tombs, this place where there is no light, you can't see anything. It's the one place Tanaris felt comfortable and safe. This is her location. Uh, she's We're walking through it, and she loses count. She's lost in the tomb. And I was like, oh, it's... Ged is learning to accept his darker self. Tanar's having a crisis of faith. And if you go through a moment, a character arc in real life, and you let go of more of a negative aspect of your personality, there is a moment where you go, wait a minute, who am I? I was so enraptured with this part being a fundamental of my personhood. I don't know who I am right now. Even God, if what bad. a topical episode for me right now, huh? <laughs> yeah. And I, it just hit me like, oh, she's like truly lost in this moment. But our boy Ged was also counting along. So they get out of the tombs. They escape the shadows and the demons. And there's this wonderful video on YouTube that I'm going to share in the show notes. Because I don't remember what it's called, but it's like a two-minute little animatic of this whole book, and it truncates like a 200-page book into two minutes, and somehow all of the emotional beats are there. It's incredible. I love it. But there's like a good 15 seconds that are just Ged and Tanar walking around, and I saw that video when I was halfway through the book, and I was like, why does just walking home get so much? And no, it's, it is important when Tanar walks through the world and like Ged can explain the world and she can think about how little she knows, but experiencing it is quite different. The scene where you walk through a small town, she's like, that was a huge city. And Ged's like, that wasn't a city. And then the last bit before we close out is yeah. there's this moment where she's like, so are you going to stay with me? Right. Are you my, you, you my mentor? And he's like, no, I'm your Obi-Wan. I have to die. He doesn't die. Jesus. Burp. <laughs> fuck me god damn it but he's like no i'm i'm a wizard i go where i'm needed you're a what sorry 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 <laughs> sorry sorry oh fucking harry potter it's really I, coming up huh yeah a lot of comparisons I see online when people are like hey what if if you want a fantasy series not written by a turf and has the like sort of kind of allegory to maybe somewhat queer personhood check out Earthsea but yeah uh, I'm a wizard I go where I'm needed I can't stay with you but my name's Ged 
so if you ever need me, I'll be here. And he goes to sleep. I think he astral projects to kind of get some strength back or something. But anyway, the important part is he is in a vulnerable position. And Tanar, who has always enjoyed the few times she's been able to exert power over people, usually scaring them, pulls out a knife. And she's like, this fucking wizard. What you got there, Tanar? <laughs> a fucking knife. No! And this, and this goddamn wizard who enjoyed making me feel small and dumb and talking about dragons and magic and my gods are lies and lied to me and I felt alone in the tombs and now he's not gonna be here anymore this motherfucker and she really contemplates murdering our main character and she has that moment where she's like no I did this I made choices this is on me all he did was help and she drops the dagger and she describes how even here, so far removed from the tombs, the darkness had still had a hold on her heart, and they finally let go. And Ged wakes up, and he's like, wait, what happened? Is that a knife? <laughs> and then they go home, and the book closes out, and Tanar gets to be a person in the world that I'm sure gets picked up in the fourth book that I will read one day, so that's more or less most of the things I wanted to say about Earthsea. I think there's a thing I forgot that I'll remember halfway through the character creation part of the podcast. So, uh, totally. Amber, any any questions to help you with the world? Any bit of clarification you want or need? This is a fun one because I... Like, this like this is an, an, an internal continuity thing, right? Uh, it's, 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 it's your MCU, um, but before cinematic universes, because these are, like, different stories that are... Um, like, like obviously, Ged is a major player in the second one, but he's not, like, the protagonist, right, in the way that he is in the first one. Um, it's like the Chronicles of Narnia. Sort of, yeah. Um, and so, presumably, what we want, right, is a character who's, like, going to be interacting with these characters, um, but who is, uh, like, has their own lesson that they need to learn um, about, you know, valuing their self or letting go of hatred in their heart or whatever. Then for some reason, those characters interact probably, right? Um, okay, so let's, um, uh, so I understand some things about the rules of this world, right? It's basically high fantasy, right? Um, and, uh, there are magic users and, um, like I understand the concept of having a true name and having one's true name, um, like influence, uh, one's, uh, like like having control of, of, of one's name being synecdoche for having control of a person. Um, yeah, like that's 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 all pretty clear. What's the deal with this world like politically? What is it? Is it is there a kingdom? Is there an empire? What's going on? Um so that leads to in the first book we're in I forget the specific place if it's a continent or just a country um, but its workings are you go to the, the wizard school exists and they're kind of like what is the thing I brought up earlier in the podcast from Wheel of Time Justin please help me Wheel of Time Did fucking mages <laughs> Mages, they go to place and they help people, and various towns have their own way of doing things, as opposed to where Tanar is from, across the sea, where there is 
specifically a god-king emperor who runs everything through this archaic religion. Uh, what's the word? Theocracy? Is that the word I'm looking for? Theocracy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's the, he's the king of it. Um, and I don't think there's a lot of time spent on it. I know the third book is about a prince, but I haven't been there yet. I think it would be fair to assume just kind of like kings and... Oh, wait, there's a... I'm just remembering a thing right now. There was like an invading force in the first book. They're like raiders and stuff. So there's some political tension. But because the books are heavily interpersonal, most of the focus is not on that. Yeah, totally. I'm just trying to like get a sense for like who our characters could be. Okay. Because I like... Presumably, Ged comes from sort of nowhere, um, because that's how it is. Um, but like, is there like a, like, is there like a wizard academy? Yeah, that's where Ged summons the Gabbath. Um, and Ged comes from like a fishing town, uh, like a little port city. Cute. It talks about fishing and stuff, and there are various wizards whose job is just to be. Uh, what sort of weather commanders they help fishermen on their boats and stuff because they can talk to the wind and whatever but yeah there's a there's a whole wizarding academy that's where ged comes from the he's destined to become the high sorcerer one day the the sorcerer supreme as it were yes Okay, um, so this is... What What? What age is Ged? Give me an age. Uh, Do we have a sense of, like, like, like ballpark it? Like, is he a grown-up, is my question, basically. I think... Uh, well, that depends on what book you're reading, because I'm... Cause sure. Cause we kind of follow Ged's whole life. Where I'm at, I got the sense Ged's, like, late 20s, early 30s. Sure. So he, but he's okay. He's a grown up then. Okay. Yeah. And in the Studio Ghibli movie, he's like an old man. That makes sense for that makes sense for a Studio Ghibli movie. Um. So then I'm like, like my first instinct then, and you can you can tell me if this is a bad first instinct, but my first instinct is to think about like fantasy stories and wizard stories. And think about what, like, kinds of archetypes of characters exist that we could exploit. And then think about, like, how could those characters have some kind of a lesson to learn that we could teach them? How could those characters um, uh, have, like, some kind of a relationship to the concept of true names? Which is, like, an exciting thing. Like, like sort of one of the exciting things about this world that you could really drill into. Um, but then, okay, so, but then, then immediately I'm thinking, what if instead of starting with the fantasy archetype, like the fact that names are so powerful in this world is really interesting, and I wonder what changes I could imagine that causing in the world if there are jobs or like social roles that 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 change as a result of that, that that we could like. Like, we could imagine that being a parent or having parents is a very different experience in this world because parents know your true name, right? Am I, am I, am I, am I getting that wrong? Am I getting that right? 
Uh, so for Gad and his village, and it could be different in various places, but there is a true naming ceremony that happens kind of around puberty. So I don't know if you have one at birth, but Tanar does. She had, well, she wasn't stolen from birth. She was stolen on like, I think her ninth name day or something. But that does raise, like, but if Ged didn't go away to be a wizard, he would still have parents who could have potentially known his true name. So yeah, that raises uh, interesting dynamics with parents and children. Yeah, parents and children are interesting. Like, what if you have parents who are shitty, and that puts you in a compromising position? What if you are a parent, and you have a kid who is shitty, and you have, there's like a power dynamic that you could exploit there... But it's complicated to do it. I don't know. It feels like like parents is a really ripe angle here that you could explore if you wanted to. Yeah, and it is young adult fiction, so like Right. That's the age where these that's the age where these dynamics become more enough interesting's the right word, more dynamic. There's the mix of there's the simultaneous fear and calm that comes with understanding that your parents are people and they're just as fallible as you are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they're no longer mythic figures that have the answer to everything they're just people Mm -hmm. trying their best man so yeah I think I think that's a really good place to go with young adult fiction and with this world Uh, do you have any other ideas off of that like, I think that I'm really interested in, like, like the obvious places to go are either, like, parents whom are shitty or parents who are really good or child who is shitty or child who is really good. Um, I think, to me, the most interesting place you could go is sort of more of a mixed bag because... So, like, we started this episode by talking about being queer and how that affects our relationship with the media, right? And, like, like one of the things about being queer is that it complicates your relationship to your family, right? Um, uh, and, and... JPEG of Kirsten Applebee's from Dimension 20 Fantasy High for no particular reason. Sure, I believe you. Um, uh, so I want to... If it's YA fiction, it probably wants to be from the perspective of someone who has a parent. Oh, fuck. I want to be careful. I want to be delicate. You're trying to do Um, this one and not self-report, aren't you? No, I'm trying to do this one and be responsible about it because (laughs) I like it's it's complicated with parents and it's not uncommon. And like the, the, the dynamic that I'm drawn to is having like, you have this character with a parent who um, kind of doesn't get them and is kind of shitty. And also like, they're your parent, you know, and they are doing their best, even where their best is um, not the best that it could be. And I, also think that there's like a real archetype in young adult fantasy fiction about um like having a dad who's the evil emperor right and i don't i don't want it to be just here's your dad the evil emperor and i also don't want it to be like 
if you're even if your dad is the evil emperor, you should just give him a chance because he's your dad. Like I don't. So I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with like a middle ground that's that's more nuanced than either of those positions. Um, it is important to depict various types of parental child relationships, ones that are positive and nurturing, ones are, that are difficult because of just generational differences, ones that are toxic. And I think if you want to depict one that is toxic because it's fantasy, I think a very important part is that if you want that to change, that the Otis is not on the child. Children yeah, are the good. ones who need to force yeah. their parents to change. Parents have to be better because you're an adult here. You know more. You should be better. Do better. If you want a part of your child's life and you've been shitty, you have to change, not your kid. So then that kind of either puts us with redemption arc or you do the Kylo Ren thing where there's almost a redemption arc. Um, uh, and then we come down sort of in more of condemnation. Uh, he kissed Ray on the mouth. That seems God. pretty redemptive. Fucking damn it. God fucking damn it. He did the Han Solo shoulder thing. So like, that's cool. We're not talking about Star Wars this month. We already did Star Wars month. Star Wars month is long past by the time this episode airs. We don't need to do Star Wars month. Um, we don't need to do Star Wars month. I'm trying to think what I feel, what I want. Well, okay. If you have, if you sit me down and go, Devin, what do you want out of a parental relationship in a young adult fiction novel? I will go, moms always get left out. What about moms? Moms always get left out. Or I would go, B... I want a movie where the, the shitty absentee dad dies and the kid doesn't cry and then like, why weren't you there? Uh, the kid just goes, eh, fuck it. Because that's more reflective of my life story. And I would like my life story repeated in media sometimes, goddammit. Yeah, I would also like your life story repeated in media sometimes. I think we can have both of those things. I think that you can have a kid who is... Um, the child of a mom, which is like one of the main relationships that we probably want to explore. Um, one of the main, like, I'm not just about to name two relationships. Um, uh, but the mom is probably like the, the, the alive relationship that you want to explore. So, and, and then a dad who dies and the kid is kind of like, fuck it. So, okay. Okay. So, um, you have the, the, uh, this child who's like the kid of a dad who is like in some way, like politically important in the world or 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 materially important in the world in some way or lore important in the world in some way and the dad dies and he was never that close to the kid so the kid's kind of like fuck it i don't really care um uh but then um like because like maybe the kid was like estranged from both parents um but then like as a result of the dad dying um like the kid doesn't care but their mom does, and the mom like takes this moment as uh, as as a reason to like try to rekindle her relationship to the kid, and then the story that we tell becomes about this kid who has sort of an apathetic relationship to their mom, um, and the mom who has this like power over the kid via their name 
trying to rekindle a relationship that the kid is not hostile to, but is also not particularly interested in. I think that's an interesting story. Um, and I think that there's a lot to be said in terms of a YA novel about like what you can expect, what you should expect from the adults around you. Um, and also like maybe it's to some extent what you like owe to the adults around you that you might not see at first and how to like tell the difference between, between those things. Yeah, those that's are, good. That's, that's good. a, like that's this. a, that's a story pitch for you. I like you add story something. Pitch. Okay. My turn to add something. I'm trying to think if it makes more sense for this kid to meet Ged or Tanar. I think it makes more sense for this kid to meet Tanar because Ged, as I remember, it doesn't really have parents so much as his aunt who teaches him slight spells. And Tanar wasn't just kidnapped. It was her dad sold her for, like, pennies and her mom was heartbroken about it. So I think Tanar would really be the outside adult to look at the kid and be like, yeah, it sucks. And you don't owe your dad anything, but your mom's trying, and that's important. So, like, Tanara gets to be the supporting character in this kid's story? Yes. Yeah. I like that. Um, it gets to, like, continue the, like, chain of Ged to Tanara to this next person. Is there anyone in the world that we could make this new character the child of? Um... I mean, there's various supporting characters. I don't know if there are any who stick out in my mind to be like, ah, yes. Um, uh, Well, there is the shit kid. Uh, (laughs) There's the shit kid from the first book. So that's like, it's fine for it to be totally fully original. Um, I just think that we need some reason for the, the character to become important in the world, right? Like, who is this character? Why are we following them? Why is Tanar eventually interacting with them? Maybe this kid's dad was going to become, like, the ambassador to where Tanar is from. And sorry, all the fans, I don't remember the names. But because where Tanar is from, they don't trust where Ged is from. Because they don't trust wizards. They think wizards are charlatans and blasphemers. So there's tension between these two places. And maybe... That's why Tanar can show up, because she was also going to help this guy who was going to become the ambassador. You know, the two places from the place meet in the middle, can discuss this, that, and the other, and that's why this kid gets to meet Tanar. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. So I feel like the ending is very obviously the the mother gives the kid her name, right? Because it's a moment of intimacy and trust between the two coming together as equals and whatnot. So here's my question about the ending. How do you think the kid reacts? What does he do? Does he accept the hug or does he turn away? Or is it... mm, Because if we want a more nuanced thing, is it that it's a... It is a hug, but it's awkward because (laughs) they're working to make it better, but it's not there yet. And it's going to take time. I think that the nuanced ending is that she offers the hug and he doesn't take the hug. And then some, you know, plot event conspires to cause her to offer instead her name um, uh, as as the, the thing to save that relationship. And the name 
um, the kid accepts and once they have it, I don't know. It's not like a like a hug. It's like like they uh, exchange a handshake. It's not like a moment of 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 intimacy. It's a moment of like mutual respect as adults. It's a moment of like like an acknowledgement of 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 the exchange of power that's happened between the two of them. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I, I see that. I dig that. I dig what you're putting down. Here's another question. Do you want to come up with their names? Because you will ask me what are naming conventions, and I will go, well, Ursula Kayla Gwynn is a linguist in, like, Celtic oh, shit. It. Oh, so it's like it. Ged and Tanar, and I will have nothing for you. So we could just go, their true names are thematically appropriate in a language neither of us speak. Yeah, so that just means we come up with, like, goofy sounds for them, right? Like... <laughs> pretty much i love that i feel like these characters need to have some kind of like a conflict like i know we're not just writing the whole story but these characters need to have some kind of like a literal conflict like we've come up with the emotional conflict here but like ged needs to defeat a dragon tanar has her spooky maze like what's the harry has voldemort what's the what's the literal conflict that these characters are are embroiled in that forces their like emotional conflict to a head the encroaching um, war between geb's hometown and tanar's hometown and the war is reflective of the emotional state of these two people perfect i love that does that mean that these characters are on separate sides of this conflict that's a good one what's your immediate thought well yeah like i like i said it because i think that's interesting like you a little bit run the risk of like doing the like both sides ism this is this is conflict and and the 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 way out of the conflict is to simply get along and there's no material underpinnings behind it which is not like the thing that you want out of the story um amber have you tried voting oh my fucking god um uh, uh <laughs> we're recording this episode a day after roe v wade got overturned um have you tried giving Democrats more of your money? Have you tried giving Kamala Harris $15 in order to do nothing with it, in order to do fucking nothing and complain that you need to give them more money in order for anything to change? Amber, um, Joe Biden is trying everything he can to reach across the aisle with people who want to murder you. <laughs> he's <laughs> doing a bad job. Oh, let's go, Brandon, baby. Um, so yeah. Um, we don't want to do that. We don't want. We don't want those politics in our in our in our book. Um, so I think that the mom needs to be wrong. I think that we need to like. There's there's like that there's like that that Innuendo Studios video um about Lady Eboshi in in Princess Mononoke and he's like yeah so like they present um this like they present this world where you have like these two conflicts um and you understand both of their perspectives and you get to see inside both of their worlds and and you understand fully why they come into tension with one another um but Lady Eboshi is wrong and the movie knows that Lady Eboshi is wrong. And in the end, the protagonist needs to take a stance on the issue. And he may needs to choose about who's wrong. Because Lady Eboshi is wrong. Um, and the movie doesn't need to, like, pretend like there's a debate to be had here when uh, 
when when just just because we've seen both sides of the conflict. And so I kind of want to make the mom be wrong. I want it to be uh, she was doing this because she's on the side of her dad. Um, and, but like like whatever side of the conflict that she's on is in fact. Um, a bunch of power-hungry people making a move for land that people are living on innocently for power. And the mom is wrong, and she needs to come around to meet the kid um, uh, by the end. That's 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 what I want. Alright, we've got different takes on Lady Ibushi, but that's an episode for a different <laughs> Yeah, that's a different episode. Um, uh, and also, that's a thing that I was taking from the video. I I haven't seen Princess Mononoke in a long time. Um, oh, I recently re. Uh, you know what? Different day. Recently, different day. It. Different day. Different day. We this this episode's going long already. So then, our character needs to have some kind of like a role in the war, right? Are they like a soldier of some kind? Like they're a, a soldier in the war and their mom is like a civilian for the other side, but they're, but it's like the wrong side. And like we present it as like, like maybe they'll have to overcome their differences. And then the mom just realizes that she's wrong. Like, is that, is that too like, I could get down with the kid being a soldier, but I think the mom being a civilian is wrong because we started with the dad being like, a, is a diplomat the right word? You know, the mediator between the two. Um, so I feel like it's a little weird to sideline the mom as just a civilian. Okay. I think the mom would be then taking up the dad's position and place as the next of kin through... I don't know, tribal rights or whatever the fuck. Write it in. We'll fix it in post. This is a rough draft, baby. So yeah, I think uh, the mom yeah. is the new diplomat, and the kid is a soldier on the crown. Uh, who's like, That's way no, better. you're wrong. You're totally right. So the kid's basically like a like a like a freedom fighter, right? Like a militia uh, by like like. Like a soldier fighting against an invading force. A three percenter, if you will. An uh, oath keeper. A proud boy. Shut the fuck. Shut the fuck. Shut the fuck. No, yeah, he's more like a, a women's war. I can't remember the name of the particular conflict, but the the women who took up a bunch of arms and then took control of their small area and still have control of it to this day through a combination of true direct democracy and intercommunity policing it's pretty fucking rad that's great yeah let's just steal that wholeheartedly i think um for our character yeah, suck it real life you're just a pawn in our game <laughs> um thank you for giving us that material for content for our podcast um women <laughs> A podcast that is brought to you by My Pillow, and if you use promo code Prince Devin ninety five, you will God. get a picture of your own face on a pillow. Lord, is that a is that a promo that happens in podcasts? We don't need to do this. Um, yeah, okay. So that gives me a sense of like who these characters are and what they go through and what they get to. Um, uh, does our character use magic? I think no, right? Like. Yeah, our, our character lives in a world where other people are doing magic around them, and they don't have access to it. Yeah, our kid's bringing the sword to this sword and sorcery venture. That's right. Um, 
Fucking Rice Linden Caraman, baby. Everyone's toxic family relationship in Dragonlance. Can you tell what I've been revisiting recently? Is it Dragonlance? It is Dragonlance. Ryslin's such know? a piece of shit. Holy crap. Oh my god. He fucking sucks. Why were you all upset that he turns into a demon at the end? He's been a piece of shit from page one. <laughs> But yeah, that feels like pretty wholly realized characters to me. Is there anything else you really feel a need to iron out before we get to the one fun fact piece? I want a little bit of a sense of a personality. Okay. I don't want to do the mom as like a hoity-toity killjoy, because that's very played out for it's women done. characters. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, something different. How, how seriously are they taking the, like, fantasy... Like, how... How stuffy and British is are the characters in this world versus well, like that's... where on the scale from like like old like like novel version Tolkien to Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Where in that spectrum are we? Well, pretty importantly, it's not British. Ged's one of the few fantasy protagonists who looks like me. Uh and where Tanar comes true. from is where the white people are. So that's just a fun bit right there. Um, yeah. But ranking it from Tolkien to Buffy, I think that's... It's not as loose as Buffy, but I don't think it has the self-mythology that comes with a Tolkien. So I'd say like a, like a short story you'd read in a D&D magazine. Does that, okay. make, does that do anything for you? Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just wondering how anachronistic to make the personality. And that sounds like not very, which is great. I want, I want to make the mom like really charismatic. Like she's wrong. And I think that it would be good and fun to make her also be like super likable and to make you want to get along with her, but also like to see how, that doesn't, like, count until she, like, learns and changes. And, like, maybe, like, that gives you a fun narrative back and forth where, the where like, our protagonist wants to reconnect with her, but it doesn't work out because no matter how likable she is, she doesn't, like, m like, like follow through on the more important elements of that. And so I th I'm thinking about, like, like, my extremely likable, like, southern aunt Jenny, who's from Georgia and who, like, always, like, is, like, she's, like, super smart and, like, does a great job of paying attention to everyone and has a hundred wise aphorisms under her belt at any given time and always wants to, like, make everybody feel seen and heard and has, like, an anecdote for everything. Um, just, like, real, like... Like, like, bring a sense of, like, southern charm, but to, you know, to to D&D to &D or whatever. I was just going to say that bit in KOTOR 2 where you meet the Jedi, who is a complete shitlord, but is surrounded by all of the trappings of the Jedi, so the universe has trained you to go, but they're the good person. They won't betray you. They're good. But if right. you look at how they treat you, you're going, no, this is a piece of shit. This, this is a bad person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The other person needs to, like, really contrast with that. I don't want to make them just, like, boring stoic. Yeah, you want kind of a, a type B, per more of a hellboy, someone who's exasperated, very matter-of-fact, calmly says what things are, but, you know, not boring, because it's I earthy, think, like, and we very much yeah. make our characters not boring. 
like a like a Roy from Order of the Stick, like very much the straight man figure, the pragmatist, but also like I want to put like a dry sense of humor under it where they're like they're like making fun of the people around them with the things that they say, but in a way where that's it's like going over those people's heads. Um so it's like funny to read, but they're still like being serious while it's happening. A Percy from Critical Role. My turn to make a D&D reference you weren't There you go. I assume a Percy from Critical Role, probably. We did it. That's back and forth. That's podcasting, baby. We did it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, name and and pronouns for our our pro tag. All right. Uh, Well, true name, one that is appropriate. Name they go by. Which can be something like Sparrowhawk. The Lightbringer. I don't know, is the Lightbringer an appropriate name for the setting? (laughs) I just, I I was just thinking of Linkara. I don't want to go with Lightbringer. Uh, Someone bring up the JPEG of Linkara running really fast at the camera. Uh, Fucking Bunt Jackson. Shut. (laughs) Um, I want (laughs) to... It's, like, probably, like, largely nature names, right? Which is great, because I love nature names. Okay. What if we did some dumb fantasy bullshit, and Riceland and Caraman... His name is Caraman because he carries a man, and Riceland was, like, corpse man or something, because Caraman has to carry his brother, who's a corpse. You take the thing they do, and then, like, smush the name a little bit to make it, like, fantasy-sounding. Are you suggesting it literally be Caraman? Not here, but, like, that for, like, you know, like, the relationship, like, fucking reconcile with mother man, but, like, (laughs) trim those words and then smush it together and boom, you have a fantasy name. So they're a soldier, um, they need to reconcile with their mother, um, uh, they bring a sword to a magic fight. Okay, so, reconcile, sword... Kind of sword sil rec 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 This really sounds like rectum. I'm sorry. It sounds like rectum. <laughs> Shit, you're right. Rectum. All right. For our young no, adult stop. fiction novel. Okay, maybe uh, connection. Name it starts with a C. Maybe peace talk. Yeah, they're doing peace talks. Now just remove some letters in peace talk and then add in a, a different vowel. Piss take. Sorry. Sorry. Piss take. Sorry. I mean, piss take. Sorry. Uh, piss take. I am um, Lord Voldemort. <laughs> it's so hard to, like, change, to, like, to like remove a couple letters and add a different vowel and not make it sound like a variation on P. P stake. <laughs> um, peace talk, right? Peace talk is just P stock i it's beast um that's fine it's yeah for stock it's stupid it's fucking dumb <laughs> mommy talk okay we switch it around a little bit the t comes before the s it's 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 pete sock all right there we go pete sock is there like a are there two names should be the, there be a second name or like what's no, you just, there's no last names. You just get the name you tell people and your true name. And we have already said the true name is 
thematically appropriate in a language mm-hmm. we don't speak. Uh, that's right. So, uh, yeah, Pete Sock. And pronouns? Um, what I was you? thinking he, him, but what about you? I'm fine with he, him. A, 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 a kid and his mom. I think that's fine. Pete, and, and also, just like, then, uh, like, Pete Sock. Like, I just, it sounds like a boy name to me. Okay. All right. So, Pesach, the firebrand, or the reconciler. We'll fucking figure it out when we upload the episode. One fun One fact, fun fact about Pete Sock. Pete Sock. Okay. Here's my fun fact. I think Pete Sock. Rarely, if ever, fights anyone on screen because Ursa K. Le Guin wanted to have fantasy stories that didn't result around sword combat. Totally. So, it's a thing that happens because that is a reality of the world we live in. But it doesn't happen on screen because that's not why you pick up an Earthsea book. You have so many other books to pick up for that exact thing. I think Pete Sock is a really really powerful swimmer and that gets brought up in the story all the time as like a like a skill that that character uses to solve problems um and to be able to approach things in ways that other characters can't approach it is because they're just like a really powerful swimmer all right there we go pit sock Yay! Um, cool. And I think that then we are doing an outro for our podcast that we have together. This was a long one. Thank you for staying with us, everybody, while we talked about Earthsea. But it was literature, um, which means that you're um, smarter and classier now. Um, and I want you to remember that when we when we pitch the next one for you. If it's literature, it's classy. Don't forget it. Don't you fucking forget it. Um, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal. On next week's episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal, join us next week when Devin tries to get us to talk about professional wrestling. But instead, um, whether you want to or not, we do an episode about uh, Captain Underpants. Yeah, okay, that'll be fun. Yeah, right? I think it'll be a good one. Yeah. And much Devin, like, can, is there anything yeah. about our friendship that you have any feelings about? God, it's so much easier to do outros when both of us are here. All of the ones I did for the Amber Retrieval arc had to be me doing all of it. This is so much easier. And yes, Amber, I will do everything in my power to monetize our friendship. Wow, so romantic. Cool. I think that's the whole thing. Thank you for bearing with us on this one. And uh, goodbye. And goodbye. And Good. goodbye. Goodbye. I wanted to make a Captain Underpants joke, but I don't remember enough to do it. It's okay. I'll remind you next week. Bye. Whee!